Hey, what's up? My name is Stephen, and I lead Avenue Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, along with my wife and an incredible team. We really have a desire to see people experience God's unconditional love, find their true identity in Christ, and live out their purpose. And we would love to connect with you. You can find us on all social media platforms simply by searching Our Avenue Church. You can also check us out online by going to OurAvenueChurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. The last three weeks here at Avenue have just been great. And if you've been here all three weeks, getting to hear all the the hope restored stories from the first week to last week has just been so encouraging. Would you agree? And if you've missed any of those, um, they are all on our Facebook page now. You can go back and watch those and stream those on YouTube. But one of the craziest things I had happen is, is I had people saying, Pastor, are we going to do this every year? I think we need to do this every year because lots of us have stories that we would like to share. And, and some would be like, I would love to be able to do that, but I just don't think I could ever get on stage. And I know Jesse last week, she's like, I'm never getting on stage. But she was on stage and they did an incredible job sharing their story. And so we are capable of way more than what we realize is the difference between between the safety zone and the comfort zone. We have to get out of our comfort zone into the safety zone to make a difference. And so I want you guys to know that you don't need a stage to be able to share your story. God has given each one of us a platform, and it may not be an elevated platform, but your platform could be at work, it's in your family, it's on your street, it's in your neighborhood, it's in your classroom, it's in the relationships. That is the platform that God has given you to share your story and to share God's truth. And so it's called evangelism, anybody, right? And, and that, that terrifies us when we use that term. It's like, I'm not an evangelist. Well, we are all called to do the work of an evangelist, though. And we all have something that the world needs. And this is the verse that we've been kind of sharing each week is Romans 15, 13. It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may, what's that word? Overflow. So may the God of peace fill you with all joy and peace so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Guys, those of us who are in a relationship with Jesus, we have something that the world desperately needs. You look at your media stream, the news feed, anything, the, the world is void of hope, of peace, and joy. And they think they are successfully attaining it by pursuing it in the things of the world, through politics, through pleasure, through wealth, through relationships. Through, but, but those things only satisfy for a short period of time. We've all pursued those things, right? And we find that they are empty once we get to the end of them. But as believers, we are to have this hope that is overflowing. And when you think about something that is overflowing, I immediately think about when you're pouring root beer. You can't pour root beer too fast. What happens? It spews, it overflows. And so like it gets to the top and it's bubbling over and it's got the foam. What do we do? 
We're trying to suck it so it doesn't overflow because when it, when it gets on the counters and it runs off the counter into the floor, everything that it touches becomes what? Sticky. And so even if you wipe it and you walk back over it, like it's still there. Even when you take the shark mop and go over it a couple times, it's still like when they have a party here on Saturday nights and they're not serving root beer, but they will have a party on Saturday nights and no matter how much, they wipe and clean, and there's overflow. The floors can be sticky sometimes. And I really believe that, that as believers, we should have an overflow of hope that sticks to those around us, that even when they are not following Christ or don't understand that there is still a residue of stickiness, of hope and joy of peace because of us, and really not because of us, because it says that, that we are overflowed by the power of the Holy Spirit with hope, peace, and joy, right? And so how do we get that out? How do we overflow with that? Well, we have to begin sharing our story with those that are around us, and we enjoy these conversations. And, but it is my desire that these conversations would not just be confined to a stage three weeks a year, once a year. That if we're only confining these conversations to what take place on stage and we only select three or four a year to get to share these conversations, there is so much of God's goodness that is not being shared. And for me to even like challenge you to say, I don't know if, if, if I can do this, I wanna help you today to equip you and encourage you that you can that it's not about a stage, but it's about who God already has placed around you. And we see this in, Matt, in, in Mark chapter five. Jesus has just healed the demoniac who has the legion of, of, of evil spirits. He drives them out. And as the man is healed in verse 18, Mark chapter five, Jesus is getting ready to get back in the boat. And it says, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon possessed begged to go with Jesus. But Jesus said, no go home. And so Jesus is kind of building his ministry to preach the gospel. And you've got this man who has experienced an incredible move of God's power and wants to continue to be with Jesus and go with Jesus. And Jesus says, no, you can't come with me. I want you to go home to your family and tell them everything that the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. And so the man started off to visit the 10 towns of the region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed at what he told them. Now, for 12 years as a youth pastor and eight years as an executive pastor, when I would read this passage of scripture from the stage and challenge the congregation, challenge those sitting in the seat, to go and tell everyone what God has done for you. Like, you guys can do it. But as I'm saying it, and even as I walk off the stage, there is something in the back of my mind saying, but could you really do that? Because I, like, there is some safety on the stage. There's some safety when you have, yes, it's scary, it's intimidating. I made like a C in my speech class, but I love teaching and watching light bulbs go off. And to be quite honest, over the course of a decade, preaching to teenagers, if you can preach to teenagers for 10 years, you can preach to anybody, right? But over the course, I got comfortable sharing the gospel from the stage. It became my safe zone, just like your seat at church 
or your Christian bubble has become your safe zone and you can talk about what God's done with those that you are comfortable talking with. But what about if you step off your stage out of your comfort zone? And I st- So I had this thought in the back of my mind, Stephen, you're saying all these things, but could you really do that? Could you really do that? And then I found out like I would one day like get the opportunity to do that that when we moved to plant the church, and if you've been at Avenue Church for two and a half years, you know I talk about FedEx because it was a transformative season in my life when I spent almost 20 years in a church bubble on staff. My kids went to a Christian school. I worked at a church. All my friends were church staff members or small group leaders. Everyone that I was around knew the language and the lingo and the stories. And so part of me was like, could I really? So could I really do what I'm asking my people to do? And so when I went to work at FedEx as a 41-year-old, where the average age was 20-year-old, I was like Papa to them. And, and I was with people in the wild, is what I like to say. I was with it, you know, you think of, of um, Madagascar, get into the wild. So I got to be with people in the wild, and, and they were having conversations that I wasn't accustomed to. They were playing music over the loudspeaker that I hadn't listened to since I was in college, like two chains, and like, 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 like I can't, what did he just say? And so I'm, I'm around conversations, and I realized God had put me in an opportunity, a place to be able to walk out what I'd been talking about for however many years. And I found that it was easier to do than what I thought it would be because I was talking about things I was passionate about. And and if we find what we're passionate about, we can talk about it forever. And as followers of Jesus, we should be passionate about what God has done in our life, and we should be able to talk about that. And I want to help you give you some tools so that you can share what God is doing. And so before, this is, and, and, and it can be scary because we've seen it done wrong. We've seen the guy, wherever the square is, with the megaphone and the sign, standing on a block, yelling at people as they're walking by. We've seen people evangelize poorly that is intimidating and actually turns people, I believe, more away from the gospel than towards the gospel. And we're afraid that, that, that we will be perceived as that person with all good intentions, right? I believe he has the best intentions. He's just using the wrong method. And that if we come at it with the right intentions and the right method, we can bring people into the kingdom without fear. Because if we're doing it with the right intention and the right um, method and the right attitude about it with the fruits of the Spirit, leading with the fruits of the Spirit, self-control and compassion and joy and love and peace, leading with that instead of the wrath of God. And people say no to that. They're not saying no to us because we're afraid that they will be saying no. They're not saying no to us. They're saying no to the one that we're talking about. And then we have done all that we are called to do and the responsibility of the words we have spoken because of him, that rests on him because his word will do what he wants it to do. It's not a performance for us, but it's just being obedience. And so this is, what, this is what 1 Peter says in chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. It says, now, who will, want to, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? So I'm eager to share what God's doing in my life, but I'm afraid there's going to get some pushback. They're going to talk about me, make fun of me. They're, gonna, like, they're not going to like me. I'm going to offend them. Who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing good, 
for doing what is right, God will reward you. Don't worry. Don't be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. Just live out in worship, not just sing in worship on a Sunday morning or in your car, but live as if our life is an act of worship. And when we do that, it says, if someone asks about your what? Can you guys read it? Your hope. So when they see us living Christ-like, there will be a hope that will be recognized in us that they will ask about. And when they ask about that hope, as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Have a conversation about it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Do this gently and respectfully. And it says, keep your conscience clear. If they speak against you, they will be ashamed because then they will see the good life that you live because you belong to Christ. So we don't lead with our words. We lead with our attitude and our actions and then follow with our words. And one of our coordinators kind of has a saying, he reminds me when we're getting people to take steps that, that we have to um, earn the right to be heard. And, and what I mean by that is not everybody's going to listen to us. Not everybody's going to want to hear what we have to say, but I believe that, that as, as Christians, we have already been given the right to speak. Because Paul tells us in Corinthians that we are ambassadors of Christ with a message of reconciliation. So I don't need anybody else to give me the right. Christ has given me the right to speak. But what you and I do need is we need permission to be heard. We need permission for people that we're talking to. They're like They have to be willing to listen to what we say. And so you and I have to not lead with our words, but we have to lead with, with who we are. And so we have to be first. Before we can share, we have to be. We have to be what? Well, it just says be gentle, be respectful, be kind. We have to be gentle, be generous. This is a hard one for all of us. You guys ready? Be patient, be compassionate, not easily offended. Don't look around, right? We have to be more. We have to be more interested in others than we are interested in ourselves as a believer. Paul says in Philippians chapter two that, that if there's any unity in spirit, if you have the same mind as Christ, then he says, do me this favor. Don't just take an interest in yourself, but instead take an interest in others. And so that when we come into the body of Christ and we are growing and maturing in Christ, um, we become not just second, because there was that movement several years ago, I'm second, and everyone was wearing the wristbands and watching the black and white videos that were so like epic and sitting in the chair telling your stories like, I'm second. I honestly believe that we're not second, we're third. Christ is first, everyone else is second, we're third. We're going to take the back seat, let them have the passenger seat, Jesus in the driver's seat, right? But we're always shouting for shotgun. But we're third. We're taking an interest in it. So, so, so we be. We be gentle, respectful. We be Christ-like. We are Christ-like. And then we do. What do we do? Well, we do the right thing. We do what God's called us to do. We do the right thing even when it's hard. We do even, like, we do what we say we will do. And I know a lot of times we can have good intentions, but poor follow through. Anybody else? Let's go. 
We need to follow through with what we say that we will do, do the right thing, do the Christ-like thing, do the sacrificial thing, do the hard thing. And as we are being who we say that we are and we are doing what we say we will do, we are earning permission and trust to be heard and then we can share. So there's some work we have to do even before we get to share. But then, but then when, when we share, we don't just go right to scripture. And this is where some of you maybe get intimidated and scared. I can never, it's like, I don't know the Roman road. I don't know the book of Romans. I don't know Ephesians. I, don't, I know John three sixteen, or I know Jesus wept. Like, like, I don't know scripture. Before you share scripture, share biblical principles and stories before scripture. But Stephen, you always say scripture is powerful. Absolutely, it's powerful. But someone who doesn't know Jesus could care less about his word. But we know the power of his word, and we can speak about the principles that are found in his word before they ever know what it is, and it still has the same impact. And then we share stories. And then we allow them to see, look, here's where these principles I was talking about line up with my story. Oh, and by the way, that's all found right here in God's word. Let me show you how it works. And one of the things that that I was able to do while working at FedEx is actually put this, like I love talking to people, asking questions, finding out what's going on in your world, where you're from. If you're new here, there's gonna be a chance I'm gonna ask you a lot of questions. Because as I'm asking you questions about how long have you lived in Murfreesboro, how did you find out about us, what do you like to do, where are you from, I am thinking of things that I've experienced, people that I know, and how I can make connections there, but not just there, but also to Christ. And so when I was working at FedEx, they give you, it was hard, y'all. The, some of the hardest work, they give you this glove. And, and all my Xers, Gen Xers, will remember the power glove from the Nintendo days where it had the buttons you could push and you did punch out like this. And so it was like the Wii before the Wii, but with a cord. And so you get this glove that you strap on and it's got a scanner on it and the packages come and and they scan and you know where to put them in the trailers. And so I'd worked really hard because I wanted to get out of a trailer because for eight hours, I was like this, scanning packages, they're coming in. And you know, a 41-year-old, when you get home, you're going into the house like this. And so I want to get somewhere where I could stand up. And so I finally get elevated and, and promoted to the conveyor belt where they're coming off the trailers and we have to scan them and, and sort them and do all this kind of stuff. And the guy that I'm working with across um, the belt from me, um, I'm older than his dad. I'm older than his dad and just feeling my age. And he's been there like two years and there's a promotion that comes along and we both apply for the promotion. Cause I'm trying to get like, I put in my time. I've been here six months. Get me doing something else. And so we both put in for the promotion and we're scanning one day and we're talking, the belt is just full of horse and hound coffee and it smells great, but we're scanning. And then like the boss's boss comes up and he's like, Hey, Steven, when do you want to do your interview? And I set the time for it. I was like, yes, I got into the interview. And so the guy on the other side of the belt was like, hey, what did he want? And I said, well, he was asking what time I wanted to do my interview. He's probably coming to you next because we had both interviewed. 10 minutes goes by, 30 minutes goes by, an hour goes by. He never came and asked the other guy for an interview. Talk about a long, awkward six hours. He's been there two years, not getting an interview. The old guy that's been there six months is getting the interview. 
And so I just, I don't, well, I don't talk to him anymore because it's just like, I just want to get out of here. I want to get out of here. And so another day goes by and he's kind of feeling better. And we start having a conversation about why I got the interview and why he didn't. And all the way at the very end of the warehouse, there is this trailer 310. No one wants to be in trailer 310 because that's where they put all the heavy boxes and that's where they put all the boxes that aren't scanning. And there was a brand of shoe that I'd never heard of before working at FedEx called Allbirds. If you're wearing Allbirds, get out of my church. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. They're really comfortable, extremely comfortable, but their barcodes were horrible. And so they would throw them all the way to 310 and would put the best scanners in 310. And so I'm, I'm, I'm in this conversation. I was like, hey, man, um, you know why they put me in 310? He's like, yeah, because you would, you would take care of business. And I said, you're right. And we had this conversation. Anytime a new person would come to him and he would talk to him and kind of show him the ropes, he would, the first thing he would say, look, if a boss ever asks you if you want to go home, always say yes because you don't know when you'll get to go home after that. So if they say, do you want to go home? Don't say you'll stay. Say yes. Well, I went and worked there with the mindset. The boss asks me if I want to go home. Guess what I said? No. One, it was during COVID. I was trying to feed my family. So I'll take everything you can give me, right? And so I'm, I'm having this conversation with him. And I said, okay, so they put me in 310 because they know I'll take care of it. I stay every time they ask me if I want to go home. And I told him, I said, sometimes a promotion doesn't look like more money. A promotion sometimes is more responsibility before it's more money. And so he's like, that's really good. And so I said, look, from now on, don't go home. Just stay and work. And then maybe you'll get an interview for a promotion. He's like, that's good. Take some advice from an old guy. Weeks go by, and he finds out I'm a pastor because I haven't told anybody I'm a pastor because people act weird when they find out you're a pastor. They start speaking old English and they want to talk about <laughs> revelations. Like, dude, I don't even understand revelations. Like, I know Jesus is at the door and knock. Like, like I don't understand it. And so when he found out I was a pastor, he, he was trying to be real cute. He was like, you got a, past, uh, a sermon for me today, pastor? Like, I can just spit one out. I was like, well, actually, actually, a couple days ago, when we were talking about responsibilities and trailers, that's actually a sermon because Scripture says that if you are faithful with little, what is it? I will make you ruler over much. And so a dude was getting a sermon in real life and didn't even know it. And so what I'm telling you is you may not have to have Scripture memorized, but if you can understand biblical principles, and as you're in conversation with people, you can share those biblical principles that will impact their life. And then we share our stories. And so as they found out I was a church planner, I got to tell them things that I was going through and things I experienced. And you have a story that God is writing in you and through you that is going to impact someone else. But we have to understand the parts of our stories. And so I want to give you some questions, and I want you to write these down, put them in your phone. I want you to write these down. And over the next week, I want you to think about these questions as you're putting your story together. And these were some of the questions that, that I gave the folks that we had a conversation with on the stage just to kind of piece and see your journey. Um, the first question is, what was your life like before Jesus? 
what was your life like before Jesus? And this affects you even if you've grown up in church because there are people who have went to church for years and decades. Maybe they were even baptized. Maybe they carry the title of Christian, but they don't know God intimately. They don't know Jesus intimately. But at some point, we take the mask off and we have an encounter with Jesus that radically changes our lives. It's not perfect, but we have a better understanding. And so what was your life like before Jesus? Whether you were outside of the church and just like a prodigal living as far from the kingdom of God as could imagine, or maybe you were in the church just playing church but hadn't met Jesus yet. Because your story is just as equally important as the other. And I think sometimes, let me say this, sometimes we can glorify the stories that are just horrendous and we feel like our story doesn't have any value because it's not dramatic. All of our stories have value. So what was your life like before you met Christ? Um, what got your attention? What got your attention and, and changed your direction of your life? What got your attention from yourself and the world to what Christ is wanting to call you to? Yes, I was saved in sixth grade, baptized in sixth grade, and, and I lived in church playing church and God got my attention as I was strapping a guy in a wheelchair to the back of my truck so we could go to the next fraternity party. In that moment, God got my attention. It's like, hold up. You're not walking about what you're talking about. What got your attention? And then where have you struggled? Where have you struggled? Craig Rochelle says this. It says, we impress people with our strengths, but we connect with people through our weakness. I think a lot of times, even as Christians, we feel like we can't share our struggles. We, can't, we, we, we have to fake it. We can't tell people that we're struggling with addiction or porn or anger or any of these things. We, we have to hide those struggles. But Paul even says, look, I've got, this, I've got this weakness. I've got this thorn in my side, and I've asked God to take it away from me three times. And he says, God says, look, in your weakness, my strength is made perfect. And there are all things, like I believe there are things God re like redeems us and removes from us, but then there are also things that I think that, that he allows us maybe to limp with at times because that keeps us closer to him. Because we have to keep going back and renew our strength with him. Because I know like when everything's going great, I'm running. I'm running and things are going perfect and I start to feel like I'm doing it all but we all have struggles. What are you struggling with? Um, where have you overcome? You know, we've, we've heard stories of overcoming addiction and, and overcoming doubt and overcoming, you know, mental health problems. Like where have you overcome in areas? There are victories that we all have in life. Scripture says that we are more than overcomers, that if if God is for us, who can be against us? Now, there's still some battles that we're fighting, but there's some battles that, that, that we have been victorious in, and we need to recognize those and be able to share those. Um, this next question is, is very intentional. Where are you healing? I didn't say healed. There's a difference. Where are you healing? Because there are things that God is still working on in us that is still a process where we are still healing 
from bitterness, from offense, from unforgiveness, a broken heart, broken trust. Where are you still healing? Because it says he comforts us. It's like present tense verb. He comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort others in theirs. And can I say that even though you may be walking through a season to where he is comforting you now, that you might just be one step ahead of somebody else and you're thinking there's no way I can be a help to them. I'm still going through it. But if you're one step ahead, you can take their hand and they can walk with you through it. And so what are you healing from now that God is working in you that you can share with someone else? Um, And these last two questions, where have you seen God move? That's past tense. Where have you seen God move? When you look in your life in the last six months, last six years, last whatever, where can you point to that you can say God was there in that moment and he provided, he protected, he showed up, he gave direction? Where is that for you? And then the last one is, where is God moving now? Because he is the God of yesterday, today, and forever. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so if he was moving back then, guess what? He's still moving now. Like we sing the song, like I've seen you move, I've seen you move the mountains. I'm not gonna sing it. You don't want me to, right? And I believe you will do it again. We have to recognize that God is still moving. And can I just, like, like we will use this term as believers, not really thinking about it, but honestly, if we believe the truth of God's word and, and his spirit and power, like nothing is a coincidence. Would you guys agree? Like if we really were to think about it, like it, it can't be a coincidence. When we read his word that says he orders the steps of the righteous. And it says that he works all things together for the good of those that love him. And so if we recognize something that just turns out miraculously awesome, or maybe it's like, oh, that's weird. Like, how can that be? Like, is that, is that a coincidence? No, I, I don't believe it is. I believe it is God moving in our life now, right? I was at a conference two weeks ago at ARC and on Tuesday night, and it was, just, it was just a bunch of pastors hanging out. On Tuesday night, I couldn't sleep, and I just really felt like I had to dig in. I've been reading through 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Chronicles, just the whole story of David and Saul and Absalom, and I'm reading, and I just felt like, I was supposed to go back and read where it says, God um, asked the Lord whether or not, or David asked the Lord whether or not he should go into battle with the Philistines. And so I'm going back and I'm reading 1 Chronicles 14, 1 Chronicles 14, and I'm reading it about David going to battle with the Philistines and then he's moving the ark, but he doesn't move the ark the correct way and a dude dies and it goes to someone's house and the house is blessed and David's like, I'm gonna move the ark again, but this time I'm gonna ask God how to move the ark. Because last time I didn't ask him how to move the ark, I just took a pole and asked everyone's opinion. We put it on a cart and moved it, and a dude died, and I was mad. And so I went back, and I'm reading this to like one o'clock in the morning. Couldn't get it out of my head. Wednesday night, we go to the last service. Charlotte Gamble's speaking. She's had an amazing British accent. I wish I had a British accent. Maybe you guys would pay attention better because you're leaning in. I can't understand what he's saying. And it's just really cool. But she gets up and she says that she has this prophetic word that she's been like just um, studying over for the last two or three days. And it was how to move the ark. 
She was talking about how as pastors, we have to be very intentional on how we move within the presence of God. And that we just don't take a poll. We seek God's, like God's wisdom and God's word. And I've never sat so still. Was that a coincidence? No. I think it's because as we're moving in growth as a young church, that God has some very specific things that we have to do intentionally and seeking his wisdom, not just going and getting a bunch of ideas that have worked for other churches. And there's been some other things over the last several weeks as I'm paying attention, it's God moving, it's not a coincidence. And so here's what I wanna say, is if we look at those last two questions and you say, I don't know where God has moved and I don't know where he is moving, then you need to take an inventory of your relationship with him. You need to re-engage with Jesus. You need to go back to what you used to do. Learn to recognize his voice. Scripture says, Jesus says this, that, that I call my sheep by name and they follow me because they know my voice. Do you know his voice? Can you recognize his voice? If not, you need to re-engage with Jesus. And then you need to reframe your life. Reframe how you see life. Stop seeing things as coincidences and see things as God's fingerprint orchestrating things. And then you will be able to communicate what he is doing in your life. And, and here's why this is important. We shared three stories from the stage. And I've had so many people tell me how impactful that was to hear God moving in real time, in real lives, not just a sermon, because here's what, what happens when we share our story. Sharing our story makes the gospel real. It moves it from black and white words on a page, not just in 3D, but it's in 4D. If you've ever been on one of those roller coasters at Disney where you can feel it, hear it, see it, smell it, like it's, it's all of it. It makes the gospel real for them. And, and here's why, as I, as I get ready to close, John chapter four. This is the story of the woman at the well, and she goes into the village and starts a revival. Verse 39, it says, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman, what the woman had said. She said, he told me everything I ever did. And so when they come to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So Jesus stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. And then these men and women came to this woman and they said, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him for ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. And here's why, guys. Seeing Jesus in your life, other people seeing Jesus in your life, opens the door for them to experience him in their life. So it's one thing to hear Jesus proclaimed and talked about, but it's a completely different thing when we start to experience him on our own, on our own terms, or actually on his terms, but in our own way, at our own pace, when we're not just hearing Jesus preach, but we're experiencing him moving and living and impacting our life. It changes. And so some of us, we need to get passionate about Jesus again so that we can be excited to talk about Jesus and what he's doing as much as we're excited to talk about the Lakers or fishing or golfing or whatever, that, that, that we can spend 20 minutes talking about what Jesus has done. Not in an awkward way, but as we're listening to other people talking and allowing the Holy Spirit to lead in what they're saying with our life experience, that's called active listening, if you didn't know. 
right? We're listening, allowing the Holy Spirit to illuminate, that's his job, things that we've experienced with Jesus, and then be able to share that with the person in front of us through principles and stories, the gospel becomes real. And so I wanna challenge you, take some time, know your story, but then also I wanna challenge you, this week, one person, have a conversation with one person about what God has done or is doing in your life passionately, not timidly. Because if we can look at something he's done, that should excite us. Like, like when I tell FedEx stories and you guys are gonna get tired of them 20 years in, oh my God, Stephen's 60. He's still telling stories when he was working at FedEx. And by then FedEx is gonna be like delivering by drones. People aren't gonna know what trailer, like, like who knows? But God did some incredible things in that year. In a 120 degree truck trailer that I wanna talk about forever because he met me there. I didn't do this first service. What are you doing? What are you doing? (laughs) Because when we get passionate about something, we don't want to stop talking about it. And when we stop talking about it, we feel like there's so much more we could have said. And so if you're here today and you're a believer, know God's like done stuff in you and through you for a reason to speak into the life of someone else who needs to know him. You are his ambassador. You've been given a message of reconciliation because he's reconciled you to his father, right? And if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, like this is where your story begins. This is where the good part of your story begins. Because when we say, Jesus, I give you my life, he takes everything before that point and begins to order and orchestrate it in a way that brings him glory but it's for your good. And you don't have to get all cleaned up. You just come exactly as you are. It says that at just the right time, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not until we had had enough Sunday church attendances or we knew passages of scripture. Like we don't have to wait to any of that. We come to him just as we are and accept him just as we are. And then the next step right after that is baptism. You know, for some of you in here, that's like, that's where you're at. You need to take the next step of baptism and baptism doesn't save you, but it is acknowledgement of allegiance to the one who has saved you. It is a symbol of burial and new life. And I've even had those conversations and guys are like, I don't feel like I deserve to be baptized. There's none of us deserve to be baptized but it's just a step of obedience. And I believe that when we take that step of obedience, God opens up another door for us to walk through in obedience. And there's blessings that come with it. There's challenges that come with it, but there is a strengthening that comes from that. But if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, here's what I wanna do. We're gonna pray, but it's not my prayer that saves you. It's, it's, It's your prayer. And it starts with simply saying, Jesus, I give you my life. That surrender, submission, that is uh, repentance all in one, turning not just from the world, but to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I give you my life. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, and with no one looking around, and, and I'm gonna invite you just to lift your, like raise your hand if that's you. And it's, it's not um, 
so that Jesus knows you want to get saved. It's, it's so that I know who I'm going to be praying for. Um, and maybe you're here today and you've been to church, but you don't know Jesus. Maybe you've walked away from him and now you're coming back and just saying, Jesus, I give you my life. If that's you today, would you just lift your hand? You can lift it and put it right back down. And I just want to pray for you. Awesome. Father, I just come to you this morning. God, you see these hands that have been raised. But God, even if we didn't raise our hands, you know our hearts. And there's anyone here today that, that does not know you, whether they have confessed you in the past and walked away or they've never entered into a relationship with you. God, I pray that whatever guilt or shame from their past that may have brought into this service today, God, that you remove it, you restore it, and you replace, God, with, with confidence and assurance of not just who they are, but who they are because of you. Your word says that if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that we are saved. God, that when we are in Christ, that all the old is gone and all things are made new. And so, God, I just pray for hearts right now that are being healed, that are being restored, that are being redeemed and saved. And God, that we would just take the next step in obedience into the waters of baptism and, and trusting you with that and believing you for that. And God, that we would be a part of a church family that, that supports and encourages and walks with us. But God, those of us that do know you, God, challenge us to talk about you more, to talk about your goodness, to talk about how you've challenged us, how you've corrected us, how you've blessed us, how you've, God, restore in us a passion to be excited about what you not just have done, but who you are and what you are doing. God, give us opportunities this week, divine appointments, open our eyes to who we need to speak to. God, let our ears be attentive through your Holy Spirit of what they're saying. God, we just thank you for what you've done today and what you're saying and what you're going to do as we walk boldly in what you're calling us to do. And it's in Jesus' name.